Pong. Whoa, holy cow. That was a good one. That was, man, thank you, Drew. Thank you, Ben, for all of, uh, all of tonight. Man, tonight's got an extra special uh, something about it. And uh, so, man, good to see you guys. I hope that you have come with anticipation of what God's going to do in your life. We're finishing up a series tonight. Uh, this is the first Sunday of Lent, uh, and we, we get to spend 40 days beginning this last Wednesday getting ready for Easter Sunday and repentance and working through all, all that's gone on in our lives over this last year and for the years that have happened in our lives. And so I hope that you came and you're ready. You're ready to hear from the Lord. You're ready for God to do something in your life because we've got a special one, a special one tonight because we get to talk temptation tonight. Uh, and so this is, a, this is a big one for us. And so, so uh, we've been using a phrase over the last three weeks we're gonna continue using tonight and it's going your own way. Uh, and so my question is, what is going your own way? And uh, what is that? And I know there's some of you that are in the room, you've told me, actually, every time you say that, I can't help but hear Fleetwood Mac singing, go your own way. I mean, it's like, it's like, come on, man, you're killing me on this deal. And, uh, and so, yeah, I mean, yeah, kind of the idea. I mean, right, it's just go your own way. And uh, what's good for you is good for you. What's good for somebody else, good for somebody else. Not necessarily, right? We don't really get to define what that is in our lives. We don't get to be the one that make up the definition of what's good in life. And so, so you know, going your own way. Like in this series context, I know there's a lot of ways we can look at this, but in this context, it's impatience. We're talking about waiting on God. It's impatience and it's a lack of trust if you really get down to it. It really is where where. where Going my own way is I don't think the Lord is either moving fast enough, I don't think the Lord's actually going to produce the result that I'm looking for in my life, or he's just not doing it fast enough. And so I'm gonna go my own way. Sometimes we choose that consciously. Sometimes it's kind of subconscious, right? We're not even really sure what we're doing, but we are, in essence, going our own way. But you know, there's another form that it can take. Another form of going your own way is this word temptation. Now, obviously, temptation in and of itself is not sinful, but temptation leads to sin, right? And so it leads to this going your own way. And so what we do with temptation is a really important piece of our faith puzzle. Now, I will tell you that um, as I was getting ready for this, this message tonight, all I could do was hear Veggie Tales in my head. You guys are hearing Fleetwood Mac. I'm hearing Veggie Tales. It's taking me back to a time when my kids were little and we watched all about Madam Blueberry and we watched all about Larry and, and all of them, not Larry the Cable Guy, but Larry the Cucumber, you know, and, and, and we were, all of these. And man, we could sing the songs and everything, but there's this one apple that sings a song about temptation. You guys enjoy it with me for just a second. You remember it? I know some of you are like, I don't, didn't even know that was in Veggie Tales. It's not the most well-known one, but yeah, temptation and the apple. Man, those Veggie Tale people, smarties. They are smarties. It's something else. Well, temptation. Somebody sees something they want and they think about taking it, right? It's temptation. Uh, it's the idea of uh, you hadn't studied enough for your test, and so the temptation is just to look to your neighbor 
who is known for maybe studying a little bit more than you're known for studying and maybe getting some answers in that way. Maybe temptation is the expense report, right? It's just so easy to fudge expense reports and put more money in your pocket. That's the, there's this temptation that's out there for everyone. It's this moment when integrity and obedience to the Lord kind of then get juxtaposed with really turning our back on the Lord. So we have this, we have this, this, this decision to make. Are we going to be people of integrity? Are we going to, we're going to honor and we're going to follow, obey the, the plan that God has for our life? Or are we going to, we're going to go our own way and chart out our own course? Uh, that's really what temptation is. And so tonight, this is our, this is our final Sunday uh, of, of this series, Waiting on God. And it is not by coincidence that uh, on this first Sunday of Lent, where we're choosing, or maybe you already have chosen, maybe you chose this last week after Fat Tuesday on Ash Wednesday, maybe you chose to go ahead and, and start um, pulling something away that you know is important to you so that every time you desire it or want it, be it a certain food, be it some type of practice, be it whatever the case may be, something that matters to you, you're going to go without for 40 days. And every time that desire rises up in you, that's your cue to pray. It's your cue to spend some time with the Lord and ask the questions that we ask during the season of Lent, which is, where do I need to repent? Where are things that are not right in my life that I've gone my own way and you need to straighten out? Where are things that we as a church have gone our own way and God needs to straighten out? Where has the global church gone their own way and there needs to be a straightening out of those things? This is Lent. And so here we are, temptation. We're gonna be tempted over the next 40 days with something, whether it's sugar, whether it's beef, whether it's breakfast, whether it's dinner, whether it's something, whatever you've said is really important to you, whether it's, I don't know, it can be a lot of different things. Facebook, social media, there's a lot of ways that you can go without so that when that temptation is there, it's your cue to say, Lord, where have I gone my own way? What is the thing I need to confess to you in this? And so here it is. First day of Lent, we're talking about temptation and we'll find out what's best for our lives. And so tonight's all about temptation. I've already said it a bunch. Here's our key truth. Temptation can cause us to go our own way. Notice it doesn't say temptation will cause us to go our own way. There's no sin in temptation. It's an important distinction there. Temptation can cause us to go our own way. That's when things go over the line from temptation to sin. You know, isn't it true that there's a lot of times in our life that when we can't have something that we want, it tends to be the one thing that we think of most. Isn't that the case? You know, we, we call this forbidden fruit, right? You know, that's the phrase that gets associated with this. Is, and, and one of the things that, you know, in parenting or teaching or leading any groups or coaching a team or anything, one of the things you want to always do is teach people what to do rather than what not to do. Because if you teach what not to do, it then becomes the forbidden fruit. Or whatever you're teaching is on the mind, and so either you're teaching what to do, and that's what's on the mind, or you're teaching them what not to do, and by doing so, you're just placing it in the mind. And so it's an important thing here when we think about temptation. It causes, If we're not careful, whatever we're thinking about, whatever we're tempted by, it can cause us 
to distrust God's plan for our lives, to distrust that God's plan is actually best. Because then we go to justifying and then we go to, to trying to figure out how this can be a holy thing. And we, we, we go to all kinds of stuff. And it's challenging. And so tonight we have a story. And so we're going to dive in. We're going to be in 1 Samuel 15. And uh, as you're getting there, here's the idea. The Amalekites have mistreated the Israelites who have just escaped from, Exodus, or from, from Egypt through the Exodus, uh, across, the, across the Red Sea, the wilderness wanderings, all that stuff, and the Amalekites have, have mistreated. And if you don't know, that's not real cool to the Lord. God doesn't like it when his people get mistreated. And, uh, and so um, Saul is now king, which to be perfectly honest with you, God really didn't ever in the first place want to create a king for his people. But because the people wanted what the world says you're supposed to have to be a legitimate people, God said, okay, we'll give you a king. You're not, it's not going to be all you think it is, but we'll give you the, I'll give you a king. And so he did, and he appointed Saul, and um, he blessed Saul, uh, anointed him, and, uh, and so we kind of pick up the story uh, in, that, in that moment there. So Samuel, who is a prophet, um, says to Saul, these words. He says, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them. What a great word, waylay. Nobody wants to get waylaid. So anyway, so when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now, go, Attack the Amalekites and destroy all that belongs to them. This is an important detail. Do not spare them. Hard to read, though. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. It's hard to read. It's tough to, especially in our day and age, to read these words. It's, it's challenging for us. God sends Samuel to Saul, gives Saul instructions with how to deal with the enemies of the people of God in that day. Part of the command was that Saul was to destroy everything. When you read those last phrases, that, the idea is to spare nothing. Now, this was not a cultural practice of the day because conquering other kingdoms was very much so a power move. It was very much so a prestige. It was very much so a wealth thing. And when you conquered another people, you took everything you could take. You took money, you took possessions, you took people, you took property, you took all of this. But what God is saying to Saul is don't take a single thing. Destroy everything. Do not take a single thing. And so Saul assembles his troops. Saul goes to war. Verse 4, Saul summoned the men and mustered them at Telaim. 200,000 foot soldiers, 10,000 of them from Judah. Saul went to the city of Amalek and, sat an, and set an ambush in the ravine. Then he said to the Kenites, he said, Go away, leave the Amalekites so that I don't destroy you along with them. For you showed kindness to the Israelites when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites moved away from the Amalekites. 
And then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur, near the eastern border of Egypt. And those of you that know the story know that the Israelites were indeed victorious. They conquered the Amalekites. But then look what happened in verse 8. Remember what we've talked about so far. Verse 8. He took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive. Anybody see a problem? And all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fattened calves and lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. Now, again, really hard to read this and understand the context and understand the situation, the circumstances. There is nothing good about war. I think we can all agree about that. War is a terrible thing, no matter who you're talking about, and it it leaves lots and lots of lives impacted forever and ever, uh, for sure. Now, for all you animal lovers in the room, you're like, yay, some of the animals lived. Right? Yay, yay, we love, we love that. And that's, that's good. Some of you guys that are sitting here kind of going, man, you've got this really true north when it comes to loss of life. You're probably thinking, man, this is a really good thing also. Yay, they spared Agag. Well, let me, let me just clarify for just a second. There's a whole lot more going on here than just sparing these animals and sparing this king. Because the cultural practice of the day was you take the king captive and you make the king your slave. Because it was something else for a king to be able to tell other kingdoms that somebody who once was a powerful king is now their slave. So that's what you did in war. That's what you did. And so here is Saul going his own way. Rather than God saying, this is the way to go. This is the way to the fullness of life. This is the way to my will, my way, which is always best, Saul says, certainly not, Lord, I'm going to go this direction. So now, certainly you want me to be made known so that you're made known. It's the classic ploy of the enemy in our lives, right? This is holy. This is a good thing. And the same thing is true for the livestock because livestock equaled wealth. And the fact that they took the best of the best means they got the best genes they're able to produce and reproduce and all of that. And therefore, what's happening is Saul is becoming powerful and wealthy, all in the name of God the Father. But that's not what God told him to do. But yet he's like, hey, hashtag blessed, man. God delivered the Amalekites into my hands. I I, I took Agag, killed everybody else, and then I I took the best. Now I've got power. I've got wealth. Other other nations fear us because you don't want to mess with us. You don't mess with God's people. We can see ourselves in those shoes, can't we? Can't we see ourselves and kind of go, oh, my gosh, that is so a decision I would make. As much as I hate to admit There are times that I hear from the Lord and adjust what God says to to be a little bit more liking to what I like. And God's like, this is not going to end well for you. This is not good. And so this immediate result, the immediate result was power and wealth. 
what anyone on the earth would say was victory. Perceived victory, power, and wealth. But true to form, when somebody goes their own way, it does not end well. So check out how Saul responded as Samuel got this word and then confronted him. Verse 10, the word of the Lord came to Samuel, and God said to Samuel, I regret that I made Saul king, probably for a number of reasons, but he says, because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Immediately, Samuel is hacked. Samuel is angry, was angry. He cried out to the Lord all that night. I can only imagine what that conversation between Samuel and God was like because Samuel knew he had to go and take a message to Saul. Saul was not going to like. Lord only knows what's gonna happen when Saul gets that message. And he's crying out to the Lord. Man, this is not gonna go well. Yet, verse 12, early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul. He was then told, Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor. Uh Uh-oh. Now we got some other issues. And then he's turned and gone on down to Gilgal. When Samuel reached him, Saul said these words, the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. What? Saul's like, I did it, and look at us now. We've arrived. God has blessed. We're, we're living high on the hog, if you will. We're, we've got all these animals. We've got this, we've got this Agag king who's my slave now. Other nations fear us. This is the blessing of God. And the reason? Because I did what God said to do. He has no idea. He has justified so much that he now believes that his actions were of the Lord. Ever been there before? It's a crazy place, isn't it? This is crazy talk. He justified his actions as unto the Lord and because he believed that what he did is what God would have really wanted him to do rather than what God actually told him to do. Have you ever done that with Scripture before? Where you read Scripture and go, certainly not. Certainly the truth really is something else. And we try to work it to where it's our advantage. Or to the advantage of people that we love and care about. But we do this sometimes, the Word of God. We go, ah. Verse 14. Samuel says, okay, if you've carried out the Lord's instructions, what then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? And so I was like, oh, no, no, get this, get this. The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best, the best of the best, sheep, cattle to sacrifice to the Lord. But we totally destroyed those that weren't good and healthy and everything. We, we destroyed those. Samuel says, enough, Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Verse 17, Samuel said, Although you were once small in your own eyes, you did not become the head, or excuse me, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you, Saul, on a mission saying, Go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you have wiped them out. Why didn't you obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes 
of the Lord. And look at verse 20. But I did obey the Lord. What? Which part did you not get here, Saul? But I did obey the Lord. I went on a mission that the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. This is what we do. This is what people do in this situation. This is the norm of our culture. This is the norm of this world. I did exactly what God would want me to do. There's so much justification. There's so much even lying inside of his head that he's beginning to believe the lies and believe he's genuinely doing this for the Lord. The soldiers took the sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to the Lord, and get this, watch this, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God. Oh, we didn't just take these. These aren't just for wealth. This is, we're gonna, we're, look how holy we are. We're gonna sacrifice these, the best of the best, to the Lord. Look how holy. Because every time we sin, because guess what? We're gonna sin a lot. <laughs> and every time we sin, we've got the best of the best of the best that we can sacrifice to God to be made holy and clean. Sam was like, um, point of order in this conversation. We kind of got a little bit of an issue here. Samuel says, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as obeying the Lord? You're preparing to not do what God says to do. You've justified the stealing. You've justified the, the plunder, taking the plunder of these animals in order to justify your future sin. That sin plus your future sin, you're, wouldn't it be better to just do what God says? Samuel's got a great point, doesn't he? I mean, how many times do we tend to kind of say, well, I'm only human. I mean, I'm not perfect. I mean, good grief, I'm not sinless. And what that means is, not only do I know I'm going to mess up, in the back of my mind, I kind of plan on it too. And God's sitting here going, Saul, do you hear the words that are coming out of your mouth? The Lord delights far more in obedience than burnt offerings. To obey is better than sacrifice. To heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. And then he gets to the punch, and here it is. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. So I hope that you've enjoyed, I hope that you've enjoyed your time. I hope that you've enjoyed your time in the spotlight. I hope that you've enjoyed getting what this world says is best for you. Even though the Lord did not say this is best for you, I hope you've enjoyed your blessing because it's over. But had you done what God had for you to do, it could have gone on. And it could have gotten better and better and better the more and more you obey. Not meaning that you wouldn't be in war, not meaning that you wouldn't have challenging times, but the fullness of life would continue. But because you went your own way, because you decided to do what you thought God really meant when God said what God said, you've now been rejected as king. Not rejected as a person, but you can no longer serve as king. 
God then goes on to remove kingship and the anointing from Saul. Big deal. And he gave it to David. Which if you know the story of Saul and David, you know this was tough. So for Saul, the immediate result was power. The immediate result was wealth cloaked in holiness. Ever been there? Look at all I'm doing. It's for the Lord. Really? Is it though? This is perceived victory and a justification of actions. Cloaked holiness. But guess what the long-term result was? Strife and civil war. Long-term, Saul and his men hunted David down to kill him because he was so angry and so jealous. You know, there's this essay that C.S. Lewis writes. It's called The Weight of Glory. It's kind of a cool analogy for us to kind of to put it in perspective of how silly it is to go our own way when God's way is so much more superior. He says these, these words, he writes, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. This is the idea. We're perfectly fine doing what we can manufacture, making these mud pies, because we can't imagine full life. We can't imagine what it truly will be to lay down what really doesn't matter that our world says matters for satisfaction, matters for quality of life, matters for success, matters for notoriety. These things that our world says, God's saying, man, that's nothing but a mud pie. I got freedom. I got life. I've got all of this in store for you. Please don't settle for mud pies. Sam and I, the other day, we were talking about a conversation about the difference between safety and security, right, and freedom. Which one's more important? <laughs> Thank you, buddy. So, so, so the thing is, is that you Google it. Google it and see what the world that we live in says is more important. Is it safety and security or is it freedom? Sam gave you the answer, all right? If you Google it, though, our world says safety and security is far more important than freedom. It's an interesting thing because what's wild is when your focus is safety and security, you get neither safety, security, or freedom because if you are enslaved by somebody else, somebody else is telling you what to do, It may be safe and secure for a period of time, but eventually that safety and security is going to be skewed by the sin nature of humanity. And then you no longer have safety, security, or freedom. So freedom. This is what the Lord promises. Freedom. Freedom in Christ. And yes, when we submit our lives to the Lord, 
we become slaves to righteousness with the Lord, there is freedom in the here and now and for all eternity. That's what's different because you don't ever have to worry about the sin nature of God because it doesn't exist. You don't have to worry about the selfishness of God because it doesn't exist. God is here for you and me with an unconditional love. Let's not eat any more mud pies. It's not what we need to do. Here's Here's what it all comes down to. God's plan for your life is right, even if it doesn't get you everything you want. Think about that phrase. God's plan for your life, it's right, even if it doesn't get you everything you want. You know why? Because you don't know what's best for your life. When you lean on your own understanding, your path gets real crooked. But when you lean on the Lord, he will make your path straight. And so all those things that we think we want, isn't it true that as time goes on, you get a little bit older? Some of those things you once thought were so huge and mountainous, you were like, this is life and death. Somebody wrote a nasty note about me. This is life and death. As time goes on, you realize, yeah, sweet. I made the bathroom stall. You know, they wrote my name on the bathroom stall and said something mean about me because you know it doesn't matter. Who cares? As time goes on, we recognize the things that we once thought were huge are not. So God's plan for our life is it's right. Even if there's times in our life that we don't get everything we want, it doesn't mean that the Lord's not present. God's delays are not God's denials. It's not it. And so here's the question we have to ask ourselves tonight, another one. Where are you tempted to justify your own way as, quote, unquote, unto the Lord? Where is it? Where in your life, where in my life are we tempted to justify what we really want to do and then cloak it in this is God's will? Is that something that you struggle with? Is that something that is, well, the question is also, do you know that that's actually sin? When we, when we read in Scripture, we study, we learn, we, and then we choose to go our own way, it's actually sin. And man, I think it's even worse whenever we blame our sin on God's plan and God's will. It's a really dangerous proposition, and this happens all the time. So I thought I would just kind of give an example tonight of how this can look when in our heart of hearts, we've justified that we want to live our life for the Lord. We desperately want to make God great. We want to tell people how amazing Jesus is. And so we go to manufacturing things in life so that we can tell that story to make God look the very best that we possibly can make him look. And and we're saying it because we really genuinely want God to be made great. We really genuinely want people to know Jesus. We really genuinely, and so we believe that everything that we are doing is as unto the Lord. And God may be kind of going, but is it? But is it, or is it? really more about you. So here's the case in point. So we've got a team and we were gathered uh, in Haiti. And, uh, and as we're there, it's the night before we're going to leave. 
And Danny Davis, who is our fearless leader whenever we're in Haiti, we, we get together and Danny says, okay, we need to have a conversation about tomorrow because tomorrow we leave. And we're like, okay, great. And he said, he, he said, he said so here's the deal. What's happened this week has been nothing short of miraculous. It's been a change of life for every single person. The Haitians, the Americans, it's been a change of life. And one of the things that Americans want to do, especially Christian Americans or Christ-following Americans even, what they want to do is they want to make sure that the Haitians understand how impactful this week has been on their lives. We hope that it's been incredibly impactful for the people of Haiti, but we also want them to understand that, man, whenever we serve, whenever we're doing things together, it impacts the person who is serving as much, if not more, than the people who are being served. It's the way of the Lord. And what we want to do out of the goodness of our heart, we want to make sure the Haitian people know how much we honor them, how much we love them, how much we're going to miss them, and how this has changed our life forever. Don't do that, is what he said. You save all your tears for when you get in the van. Don't cry in front of them. Don't make all these empty promises of how you're going to continue communicating with them and how you're going to pray for them and how you're going to... All these things sound great, but save your tears for the van. Cry all the way to the airport. Don't shed a single tear in front of these people. Because when you do that, there's going to be another American team that's going to come here after you, and if they do the same thing you do, and then another American team comes after that, another American team comes after that, and these American teams that promise communication, promise ongoing connection, continually fall short. You know what you've done to the Haitian people? You've traumatized them over and over and over again, and you've taught them that God leaves. Now, isn't that crazy? Because the heart of the Christ follower is, I want to hug them. I want to take a picture with them so I can remember. I want to, I want, I genuinely do want to continue having a relationship. I gen, all, all these things. But at the end of the day, all of that was for the American. It was to make the American feel better, not the Haitian. And so all of the desire to care was really selfishly motivated in that moment. And he was helping us avoid that temptation the next day. It went off wonderfully. Everything was happy. Everything was good. We got on a plane. Honestly, I don't think there were a lot of tears in the van on the way to the, to the airport. But life change happened in a remarkable way because the Lord was able to go before, and Danny and his experience was able to help us see where we may be tempted to make this all about us in a very holy way. Thank goodness we didn't. Our Kenyan teams have dealt with this exact same thing, same trainings, all that kind of stuff, really, really good. So I'm very thankful for that, but this is kind of the idea where in our minds we may be thinking that what we're doing is for the Lord and God's saying, eh, it's really more for you. It's really not for me. And so here we sit this evening. A lot of people will testify that God's ways are best. A lot of people on this earth will say, God's ways are best, and there's always temptation 
to go their own way rather than waiting on God and trusting God with the results. We gotta trust. And sometimes it means we're not gonna get some things that we want. And so the question as we kind of finish up, when you're tempted, how do you remain steadfast to God and not give in temptation, into temptation to go your own way? What is something in your life that you can think of that you may have had really good intentions, but you've come to realize actually we're more selfishly motivated than God-motivated? And how, moving forward, when we're tempted to repeat, do we remain steadfast to the Lord as opposed to going our own way? This is a big, big deal for us as Christ followers. Church, may we trust that God's plan for our life is indeed best. It is indeed best, even when it doesn't get us everything we want. Big, big teaching. So consider this. Here we are. First Sunday of Lent. All right? First Sunday of Lent. When we choose to go without, I hope that either you're, you're in process or you've already, already been there and you're kind of moving. That. If you're not, please don't miss this opportunity. This is a beautiful 40 days of life. Beautiful time. So when we choose to go without something we want in order to find what's best, here's where we are promised that we can find it, and it's in the Word of God. It's in Scripture. Scripture tells us when we seek, we find. We knock, the door will be open to us. Salvation, life, everything, right? And so may God reveal to us in a really beautiful and eye-opening way where we've fallen short. When the hunger pains show up and we begin to say, Lord, where is it that I'm missing the mark? May God, in the way God gently does, Help us see where we've fallen short. When the wants or the desires begin to bubble up, reminding us to think about, ah, man, Lord, I know I've missed it. Where is it that I've missed that? May God reveal that to us. And y'all, when temptation to go our own way begins to creep in, here's what we can trust. We can truly trust God's plan as the right plan. No matter what, we can truly trust because God's ways are far better than ours. So let's feast on the word of God. Let's test and approve God's will and his way. And may we see that it leads to freedom. Father, we love you and we praise your name today. And man, this is one of those teachings, Lord, that's extremely complex because temptation, we tend to go to sexual sin or we tend to go to, to, to financial sin. We tend to go to these areas. Lord, this one here, we may not even know we're doing it. And so, Lord, the question is, will you open our eyes and help us to see where we're missing it? See where our intentions are good but we're, we're, we're not in line with your word. We're not in line with your will. And Lord, we, we want to be in line with you. And so Lord, will you open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts, help us to, to open your, your word and may it change our lives forever all over again. Um, Lord, we love you. We praise your name and we pray this through the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, during this time of response, we're gonna be singing the words, Lord, I need you, okay? And that's the, that's the bottom line. We need God to help us out. And so 
The first question is simply this. Where is it in your life? You know, have you, with really great intentions, done something for the Lord? And the Lord kind of says, it actually was more for you. So this is a moment where you say, search me and know me, Lord. Search me and know me. Where am I missing the mark? And then from there, it's to ask God, okay, what do I do to avoid, what do I do to be victorious when temptation comes my way to grow impatient and to go my own way rather than the way that the Lord has for us? Will you stand to your feet? Let's ask God these questions and let's respond together, everybody.